Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Astronomy can be quite beautiful. From stardust to diamonds, we find out about some new techniques in astronomy. Now, when we look at the Milky Way galaxy, we can see some strange things in it, including nano-diamonds, or maybe even leftover remnants from the creation of our solar system. But sometimes we just want to filter things out of the way. These three different scientific techniques we're going to dive into detail this week. Now, Carl Sagan very famously said that we are all stardust. We are all made of the debris of stars. And that's certainly true. But when our solar system was formed out of this cosmic debris, aggregated in a large disk, and some of that stuff went on to form planets, other went on, parts went on to form other objects in our solar system, much like the asteroids or the comets that live out in the Kuiper belt. And when we examine some of this dust hanging around the Earth's upper atmosphere, it has some surprising origins. And that's what some research done by the University of Hawaii at Manoa, together with the Department of Energy's Lawrence Barclay National Laboratory, or Barclay Labs. They've been studying stardust, or for want of a better words, leftover stardust, from the creation of our solar system that has found its way onto some NASA aircraft. Now, NASA routinely flies aircraft into the stratosphere, and when these craft come back down to Earth, sometimes they're coated in unusual dust. And that led researchers from a number of different institutions led by Hope Ishii from University of Hawaii in Manoa to say, well, what is this dust actually made of? Where does it come from and what can we learn about it? So they took it to Barclay Lab's Advanced Light Source, the ALS. And with that, they explored what made up this dust all the way down to the electron and nanoscale levels. They put it in this electron microscope and they bombard it with these electrons to get a better picture of what it actually looks like. And it's actually very interesting. It's a porous aggregate structure, which you can clearly see when you use a scanning electron microscope to study it. It's most likely um, to be part of a tiny glassy grains family particles called gems, glass embedded with metal and sulfides. Normally these are typically less than 10 to hundreds of nanometers in diameter, so very, very small less than a hundredth of the thickness of a human hair. It's very difficult to try and study them. They're so small. and To actually get them onto a plate to put into a microscope, you actually have to slice them up, put them in an epoxy that you can discard later so you can actually study the thing. That's why they use electron microscopy at the molecular foundry, which is the other name for this research at place at Barclay Labs. Now, these tiny little subgrains are bound together by dense organic carbon in clusters, which make these big, long grains. Now, what makes this clearly identifiable from its origin is the way in which all these little gems grains, glassy grains, are glued together with other components, like low-density organic carbon matter and this weird matrix. And that means that this likely came from comets, leftovers from the forming of our solar system that hang out at the Cupia belt. So, some dust on some NASA aircraft has come back down to Earth and by studying it in a high-powered electron microscope, we're actually able to piece together and hold in our hands leftover pieces from the creation of our solar system. It just goes to show that sometimes really small things, leftovers, dust and remnants, can give us a clue into the formation of our solar system and interstellar objects like comets.
Now there's a lot of other mysterious things shimmering in the night sky that aren't leftover comet dust. Sometimes when we look at the background radiation of the universe, and this may sound like a crazy and complex topic, but if you remember the days of analog television and you saw the static on your TV, or maybe you've heard the statics on your radio, at times you are actually listening to the cosmic microwave background radiation of the universe. And we've spoken about that here a few times on the podcast. Now, in that big hum of microwave information, of microwave light emanating across the universe after the remnants and leftovers from the Big Bang, we've been basically trying to study it and understand it. And since it's difficult to try and make sense of all this noise from all the events from the history of the universe that are just scattered in this big bunch of noise or otherwise messy data, but trying to make sense of it is a very, very difficult job. So we build models, models that predict certain ways types of radiation might behave from some sources and, and the ways the universe may interact with it. But for decades, something has been puzzling astronomers. In the faint microwave light, there's a peculiar weird source, a small little buzzing glow. They're called anonymous microwave emissions, and they come from some specific spots across the Milky Way. The reason this is so confusing is we don't know what's causing it. This little extra bit of noise from key regions inside our own galaxy is a bit confusing. Now, there's been a lot of far-flung theories for what this could be. A major contender was, of course, polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, which are a class of organic molecules, or they're known as PAHs. They're carbon-based molecules found throughout interstellar space. But what's interesting about them is they have a pretty telltale signature. If we use spectroscopy to study the content of them, we find the key signatures that tell us, yes, hey, this is a polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbon. Basically, if you think like a, a, any other type of hydrocarbon like oil, these long complex polymer chains in a ring. So maybe it could have been that causing this weird anomalous microwave emissions that we've seen. But that didn't have enough evidence to really justify it. And that puzzled astronomers. They, they thought this was the only candidate and they didn't have any other really good contenders. That's where some researchers from Cardiff University in Wales, led by Jane Greaves, teamed up with researchers from the National Science Foundation's Green Bank Telescope in West Virginia, and in Australia, the Australia Telescope Compact Array, ACTA. And what they managed to capture for the first time is three clear sources of this really faint microwave light, AME is what they call it, this anonymous microwave radiations. They found three actual sources, not just scattered debris across the noise, but three clear sources of of these anomalous emissions. And that enabled scientists to really dive deep into what made this up. And the answer is actually quite surprising. Instead of being a boring bit of hydrocarbons getting bounced by radiation from the stars and emitting a weird frequency, no, no, it's nothing, nothing fancy like that. It's much more beautiful. It is, in fact, nano-diamonds. If you think about a nanoparticle, which, for reference, is an object of 10 to the negative 9 metres, if you want to think about it another way, if you look at the period, the full stop on a printed page, that's approximately 500,000 nanometres across. So, what we're going to be talking about here is 
nanometer size diamonds. These nanoparticles, these nano diamonds, are incredibly small, very, very difficult to even detect or study with a traditional microscope, but they can spin at incredibly high speeds. And these nano diamonds have another pretty amazing property. As they spin and rotate, and since they're so small, they can rotate pretty fast, their specific structure has what's called as a dipole moment. It's an arrangement of the atoms that allow them to emit electromagnetic radiation when they spin. So these little nano diamonds are hanging out in space and they're spinning incredibly fast. And each time that they spin, they shoot off more electromagnetic radiation. They're not very big. So the electromagnetic radiation that they emit is very, very faint. But if you have enough of them together in a big dust cloud, then you might get something that you might be able to see from Earth. It might be a very, very faint, a very anomalous microwave emission. Basically, the AMEs. Now, it's a pretty interesting idea. Nano diamonds are an understood concept. We can make them in the labs here on Earth. Basically, super pressurized bits of carbon that form these beautiful but incredibly tiny diamonds. And they can be formed by basically any time you have carbon under a huge amount of pressure. Let's say in the heart of a star or from a supernova or any other type of large interstellar object. So nanoparticles, when squeezed enough that particularly certain types, can become these nanodiamonds. And when nanodiamonds spin, they can emit strange electromagnetic radiation. And what these researchers have determined is from these three sources of AME, this faint anomalous microwave emissions from our own galaxy in the Milky Way, they did an analysis on that light source because they found three distinct light sources. And when they did spectroscopy analysis, they found that, yeah, it actually lines up pretty nicely with what you'd expect if it was a nanodiamond. It doesn't match at all any complex hydrocarbon chain, but it does match what you'd expect if it was a diamond. This is the best proof that we've ever had for what's actually causing these strange microwave signals. And it's not Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, but it's anomalous microwave emissions, AME, AME in the Sky with Diamonds. These beautiful nanodiamonds are actually causing an interstellar shimmer. And if that doesn't inspire you about the beauty of astronomy, then I don't know what will. So this is some great work being done out of Cardiff University together with researchers at the Green Bank Observatory and the Australian Comet Telescopic Array. So from finding nanodiamonds scattered across our Milky Way galaxy to another very, very difficult astronomical task, and that is the detection and study of an exoplanet. Now, we've been finding probably over 2,000 exoplanets now, and our numbers are increasingly growing. 80 were just discovered recently in this month. Now, how we find and identify these exoplanets relies on a lot of scientific trickery. Sometimes we look at the faint slight dimming or changing of the light of a star in our observations, maybe with the hope of trying, picking up the fact that a planet might be blocking it from time to time. And there's a whole bunch of other different unusual methods that we have for trying to identify a star. And if that star has any exoplanets around it,
This all stems from the fact that a star emits a lot of interesting light and other things that we can study. And a planet doesn't emit anything, really. It might have an electromagnetic magnetic field that we could see the study of. It might have a surface that if it's close enough to a star might reflect a little bit, much in the same way as our moon can reflect a little bit of the sun's light, but it's not that bright in a cosmic sense. So how we identify these exoplanets is incredibly difficult. And some researchers from the University of Geneva, together with an international collaboration of scientists who are hunting for extrasolar planets or exoplanets, that research group is named Planets, by the way, which is also a pretty funny use of an acronym, have recently published in the journal Astronomy and Astrophysics a pretty incredible way of finding these exoplanets. They do it by effectively making the star invisible, revealing in its absence any exoplanets hiding around it. And they did this and proved the concept using some data from the Very Large Telescope demonstrating for future methods how it could be used with other things like the extremely large telescope, which will join soon in 2025, the Very Large Telescope in Chile. Now, how did these scientists do it? What, what did they come up with? Well, the easy way to think about this is when we look at light and captured all that light information coming to us, it actually contains a variety of different frequencies. So we call this the spectra. And we can study that spectra to figure out what actually is making up that light? Does that contain some hydrogen? Does that contain some carbon or water or methane? And by studying and looking for the traces in that spectrum of light for specific elements, we get to know what actually emitted that light. But that's great. Spectroscopy is a well-known piece of science. So what did the scientists do here that was any different? Well, they filtered. In other words, they put on a filter to their data and said, yeah, but we don't want to care about uh, hydrogen or helium on its own. We're going to look at something interesting, something that might be on an exoplanet. And they took this identified exoplanet as a sample to pr prove this concept. So what they looked was for was things like water or carbon and monoxide, maybe also methane and ammonia. And by looking for the spectra of these specific molecules, we can actually filter out the rest. So what they did was they applied this filter and said, actually, we only want to care about H2O. Sh only show us pixels that correspond to have the H2O's spectra. And with that, the star disappeared. The star's very hot. It doesn't have any water sitting around there. But the planet was visible. Now that is pretty interesting. It blots out effectively the planet. The only thing that left that responds is something that does have some water on it. In this case, the exoplanet. They did the same thing with carbon monoxide. Now, when you apply that filter for, say, ammonia or methane, the planet remained invisible, as did the star, which suggests there's probably not ammonia or methane present on that planet. And that's pretty amazing, because by basically applying a filter or a screen over the top of the data coming in, we can rule out things that we're not interested in, like the star, and focus then in on exoplanets. Now, it's a bit hard to apply this more generally because we need to then know what this exoplanet has, if this exoplanet actually has any particular element that we can hunt for. But things like carbon monoxide and water and methane are pretty common ones that we can hunt for, so it's not a bad starting point. And if we suspect that a planet might be orbiting around a star, we can 
put on one of these filters pretty quickly and get rid of that star and hone in on trying to see if there really is an exoplanet hiding behind there. So this is some great work out of the University of Geneva and this whole research team piecing together the puzzle of hunting for exoplanets and giving us another tool in our arsenal to try and hunt for extrasolar planets. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Lagrange Point. From nano diamonds all the way to leftover comet dust, we found out as new techniques in astronomy, including how we can filter out stars to better hunt for exoplanets. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.